And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100%. And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big Sean McCarthy. Good morning to everyone. We are here for another edition of Weighing In with John McCarthy and nobody else because my partner, Josh Thompson, is off on vacation doing unknown things. God knows what he has left us to our own devices. So it is myself and podcast Dave for show number 80. And that's good because I graduated high school in 1980, which tells you how freaking old I am. If you want to catch us, talk to your friends, tell them about us. They can catch us on Google play, Apple, iTunes, obviously YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and all those other plethora of podcasting platforms that are out there. Uh, you can uh, be part of the weighing in team by going to ProWrestlingTees.com and getting a t-shirt. That t-shirt, go to weighing in, hit it. You can get a variety of different shirts that we have there. And if you wish to get 20% off, all you need to do is put in the keyword of GOAT, greatest of all times or greatest of all t-shirts, and you can get 20% off on that t-shirt. What's up, my man, podcast Dave, Josh? Thompson has left us. Dude, that's funny. Like, you know, DC retired this past week, like officially retired. I just had a feeling that like Josh, because of his CTE, somehow thought that he was the one that retired from the show. And that's why he didn't show up tonight. <laughs> oh, man. You know, it's, it happens. He, he gets to go on uh, his trips back home real quick and then realizes, oh, I don't have any podcasting things here. That's okay. <laughs> We're good. We don't need him. Who needs him? Nah. No, no one needs the punk. Yeah, yeah, we do. I, I mean, miss him already. It's all right. It's mostly just scratching his ears and saying, duh, 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 duh. <laughs> Well, at least he won't fall asleep on this one. That's a That's good thing. So let's get into the UFC and what occurred. We had, uh, was this UFC 9, I believe? Uh, Fight Vegas Night 9, 9 or whatever. I don't, who, Vegas 9. They, they, now they've got, it used to be just UFCs and numbers. Then it was the UFCs and we had Fight Nights. And then we had Tufts. And now we've got UFC Vegas because that's the only place that they can do fights, basically, other than if they go over to Abu Dhabi, which they will be going back to soon. And they have a couple of really good cards coming up. So that'll be interesting. But this card, I got to admit, just lackluster. And I'm sorry. I understand the problems that they are facing. And you can see that with the withdrawals that were taking place due to COVID and some of the fighters uh, testing positive. There's nothing the UFC can do. You look at it and they're in a they're in a real tough spot. You know, and it's it's not only tough for, you know, the promotion itself, then you look at the fighters, you look at guys like Brian Kelleher and you know, he didn't even know who his opponent was going to be until last night. That's after weigh-ins. You know, that's that is not easy when, you know, this is your career. And again, I don't put you, you can't put the blame on the UFCs. You got to you got to respect the fighters that are coming in. And taking the the match, no matter what, uh, I give it to Ray Rodriguez, who came in last second, you know, tried, went in there, made a little bit of a mistake. That might have been because he really didn't get any to look at what his opponent was good at. And Brian's always been good at guillotines, and he's he latches on to that neck real quick if you put it to the outside. So, you know, this is, uh, it's part of what happens with, the chaos of what we're all going through right now. And you get, you look and you go, well, you know, 
everyone's doing their best and that's all you can ask is you know do your best you know try to put on great fights you, you match them up they don't happen sometimes and then they just move them you know down uh to another show and that's you know that's occurred you know with all promotions that are trying to put on fights right now and it's going to continue to occur but there was some i thought there was a couple of fights i want to bring up i thought that hunter azure and cole smith it was a good fight it was a good fight for hunter but he did get tired in pressing and it showed you know hopefully it showed him in a guy like cole smith hey there's other guys that can take that pressure and they can uh handle and take some of the shots and look like you know what i'm never gonna stop i'm never gonna you know give up and i give it to cole smith he didn't get tired he kept coming after him tough fight you know obviously uh i thought the judges right hunter azure wins that fight but hopefully he learns more out of that fight as far as your wrestling has to be sharp at times and you need to be smart when you're utilizing it when you're going against a guy that's got that motor where he just doesn't stop. And uh, the judges got it right with the unanimous decision, but you know, a good win for Hunter Azure. It's one of those fights where I think Cole Smith's going to learn something on the losing end of it. And I think that Hunter should, he should actually learn something from this with the wind of, you know what? My wrestling is good, but it's not going to dominate everyone and make everyone tired. There's guys out there that can push past my pressure and I need to be smarter in the way I apply it. So, but it was a good fight. I went, what did you think, Dave? Um, well, I, I actually was only able to watch the last three or four. Um, so oh, I'm not, I'm man. not with you on this one. Just a um, casual, but man. Hey, just a casual, a casual, a casual with just a two casual. year old son. Um, yeah. That's a good excuse. I like that excuse. <laughs> um, but I was going to ask you, um, as far as this yeah. card, you know, you're saying about the cards and the quality of the cards and things like that. Is it because the um, did the UFC have an obligation with ESPN to be putting on these cards? Or... Absolutely. Why do you like, when it comes down to you know this whole thing when you you watch what occurred at the beginning of COVID when Dana was trying to put on those fights early on when in April he was going to the Tachi Palace to put on a show because Dana has a contract. It's not Dana, the UFC, but Dana's the president of the UFC. So look at, he's the boss. He knows we, we have to put on shows because that contract, if he does not deliver a specific number of fights to ESPN, well then they don't pay that contract out. And that means the U UFC doesn't get their money. So, you know, Dana in the beginning was trying to push shows. Now he's making it up. That's why we're getting one, you know, one every week at least. And then, you know, he's also, you got to figure out how busy they are there in Vegas, you know, as a, as a business, because yes, it's just, it's the UFC, but then it's also, you know, Dana White's contender series, you know, they're putting on those fights and that's UFC personnel putting on those fights. Those guys are busy as hell, man. They don't, they're not getting a break. They're putting on show after show, two shows a week normally. And, uh, you know, you, you got to commend them for what, you know, they're able to do, how they're able to continue to, you know, put on the shows. But, you know, when you're putting on fight after fight after fight and you have these, you know, elements where you're doing all these tests and people are testing positive and having to pull out. That just makes it worse for guys like, you know, Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby, 
they got to be put they're going to be bald by the end of this thing because they're pulling their hair out all the time based upon they think they have a fight lined up it's going to work they get it all the way to the weigh-in this should work and all of a sudden bink here comes the test after weigh-ins you know they they got to be just going what more can i do to make you know these cards work but you know overall again my hat's off to them because this is not a not an easy situation and they're making the best of it um I think that one of the fights that we, uh, I thought, man, uh, Viviani, uh, I want to say it right, uh, Araujo, Araujo, man, she looked good against Montana uh, De La Rosa. Just looked fantastic. She was sharp. That jab of hers was so crisp, and she just was eating Montana up. And Montana is a good stand-up fighter. She likes to you know, utilize her, her grappling. She's an outstanding grappler, but you know, she usually has good head movement and she, she fares well in the standup and you could just see the different levels of their standup abilities and technical games when it came to the standup. Uh, it was really impressive that Viviana was just dictating exactly where the fight was going to be, how the fight was going to play out. Even when Montana got her down the one time, pops right back up. Uh, that was a big win for, you know, Araujo, and uh, she looked great, man. You you look at this, and you know that that whole 125 pound division. We talk about it all the time with you know who is going to actually be able to be put into a championship fight with Valentina Shevchenko, and you know it's tough. And, I, and I'm not saying I think that right now that Viviana is the person you want to put in against Chevchenko, but that performance that she had, the way she was fighting, the way she looked, well, at least it's a person that you can say, man, she's in that realm of, she's in the top 10, no doubt. And one more or two more wins, and she looks that way against fighters of a level, you know, like a, you know, I know Jennifer Maya is going to get the next. Uh, shot against Chevchenko, but you put Viviana against someone like Cynthia, you know, Cavio, man, she gets a win against someone like Cynthia, which is very possible the way she looked. And she's got a very good uh, background on the, uh, on her ground game. And she got a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So she looks good against another high level opponent, man, that's someone, the way she moves, the way she fights, that's what you're looking for, for a good, solid matchup, someone that could actually be in a position to possibly, you know, take that title from Valentina. I'm not saying she's going to do it because I really believe in Valentina. And she, I think right now she sits in a class by herself, in my opinion, in that weight class. But you know, great fight by Viviana. So that, would, that was another one. The next one that we really, you got to give credit to, there was a little bit of, you know, controversy on the stoppage and stuff. But I say Mikel, they'll say Michelle. But Pahea, man, he looked good. You got to admit that, you know, he just ate uh, Amadeev up. Uh, he just, he looked fast. He looked strong. You know, he just dominated the fight. He, he even stalked and slapped his ass. You, <laughs> there was that point. He, he, he like kissed his... He blew a kiss and then slapped with it. Would have made both Nick and Nate Diaz very proud. 
just the way he was able to pull that one off. So it was uh, really a, a great performance overall. The ending was a little bit strange, and you look at it, and people can, are going to sit there and say what they want. I can understand why the referee, Chris Tognoni, uh, looked at it and said, that's a tap, and it was two times that the hand went up, and it's not he's not grabbing at the wrist to try to break the choke. His hand is going up, and it's making this, you know, this little vibration motion. And so referee looks and says, you know, you're in a bad position. You're not fighting the choke right, and he stops the fight. It doesn't matter. He was losing that fight in a grand fashion. So if Pahea was going to walk away, if it went uh, to a judge's decision, he was going to walk away with that fight anyway. So I'm not going to say whether uh, right or wrong. I think John Anik was right in the way he said. I, th- I actually think the guy actually didn't mean to tap, but I think he made the motion of the tap. And once you make the motion, it doesn't matter what you mean. I thought Chris was right in making a decisive decision and that, hey, I saw the tap. That's it. You're in a bad position. It's not like the guy was not in a choke and there was no submission being applied and he makes that motion and Chris stops it. It's not what occurred. He was in a deep choke. The guy was, you know, had taken a lot of shots. That's the time when you you make that motion. A referee is going to think that you're trying to get out of the fight. And it didn't matter in the end. He was losing that fight. So John, with um, with him not tapping, if if he was to appeal it, could that be overturned as a no contest because he because he didn't? I mean, I I think they look like he didn't actually tap, and so if he appealed it and said he never tapped and it was in his favor, could it be ruled a no contest? In that situation with the choke on and the way that he's moving his hands, I honestly don't think any commission is going to ever overturn that one. That is not going to happen. He can appeal it. He can try to appeal it. I don't even think they would take the appeal. I think they'd watch the fight and go, nope. You know, because I'm trying to I'm trying to remember how much time was left in that fight. Only probably 30 seconds at the moment. 20. Okay, 20 seconds was left in the fight. And we had Pahea on the back of uh, his opponent. So... There's no way they're gonna they're gonna switch that over. He lost. It happens. You know, learn learn from you know the lessons of that loss. And that were there things that you could have done better? Yep. So let's learn from them. Let's move on. And you know, maybe someday you'll get a rematch. But right with that fight, you gotta admit, Pahea is looking looking good, man. He's freaking huge at 170 pounds because he he made his opponent look small man i mean not he just he's taller he's bigger you go it's got to have some hollow bones you know because i don't know how he's making that weight he's carrying a lot of muscle on his frame and it's not affecting him because he at least slowed down all of the bullshit you know the back flips and those things because that's not going to help you in the fight you know when he jumps off of the cage and stuff great do it Okay, if if you can land a shot doing that stuff, that's all stuff. It's it's big big energy, high output type of maneuvers. But if you can make them land and work for you, okay. When you're doing backflips, trying to you know backflip onto someone that's the grounded opponent, you're going to end up having the referee come in and stop you and give you a foul and take points away. That's just stupid fighting. And at least in this fight, he slowed down a lot of what you know people expect out of him because look, 
you can be the showman, and I, I appreciate being the showman, but you want to be the quality fighter. And he's got the ability to be that quality fighter. Like I said, he's got skills, and he's he's fast, he's athletic. So let's slow some of the junk down and put good technique in there at times, utilizing the cage and all the things that he does. That's all great. I thought he looked really good tonight as a fighter, as good as I've ever seen him look, and I've watched him a lot. You know, you watch his fight when he fought Tristan Connolly, and you just look and you go, you just, you were all over the place. You were burning energy like you were, you know, running sprints. And it's like nobody can continue to do a fight in that fashion. And, uh, you know, he had the fight with Diego Sanchez. And he got disqualified for the illegal knee, even though he was winning that fight easily. You know, hopefully he's learned from those losses because those are losses that, you know, they were just mistakes. Bad mistakes led to a loss that you probably shouldn't have got on your record. And uh, Fight IQ was not quite there, so at least it looks like he's moving in the right direction. You say he's working at, uh, you know, working out in Vegas. He's staying in Vegas now, working out at the PI. Good. You know, hopefully you're going to start listening to people, being sure about the, the way you know, you're going about things. He called out George Masvidal. I love that, but I think at the time of the fight going in, you know, some of the ratings had, you know, Pejea somewhere, somewhere in the 49 to 40, you know, category as far as his ranking. And uh, I think Masvidal somewhere around five right now. I don't think the number five, I don't think the number four or five guy is going to fight a guy that's ranked in the 40s. It's not going to do him any good. So I think he needs a couple more fights and get himself, you know, bumping up into the, rankings get into the top you know 10 or so and, and then that masvidal fight i would love to see it would be a fun fight to watch so really uh really a great great performance by him as far as overall though i thought that was the best performance we've seen out of Pahea. and i just hope that that's what we see coming in the future too it really was a good performance then we had uh oh vince say really uh it was funny because I, I have a friend over and we're watching the fights and he's talking to me and he's saying he goes man he's he just doesn't look like he cares and it just you know it looks like you saw i said he does this all the time i said and then all of a sudden he explodes and he's gonna and i i had said it probably 30 seconds before i said you watch this is the kind he's gonna use a combination gonna hit him with a left hook and he's gonna put him down bink there goes the left hook puts him down i look like a genius just looks so smart Thank you very much, OSP. You made me look way smarter than I am in this, but it was that difference. You look at the first round. I actually thought that the first round of the fight was won by Minifield. And I know DC had uh, uh, OSP winning it, but you look, OSP was taking the heavier blows. Minifield came out and started to try to press the action. You saw OSP use his ring generalship and his fight IQ to slow Menafield down. He used that teep kick to the solar plexus beautifully to really cause him some problems. But in that first round, it was very close. But Menafield landed a couple of really big, heavy shots. OSP landed a little bit more volume, not much, but not a lot of heavy shots. I think the judges actually were going to go for Menafield, and then the second round was clearly OSPs all the way up until that left hook. And then the other thing I want to say, you know, look at OSP. 
you know, this is a fight veteran. Guys, if you're a young fighter, watch what he does when he hits Minifield. Watch that left hand hit. Watch Minifield go crashing to the ground and watch the beautiful walk-off without jumping on someone for no reason that a class professional athlete like Ovin St. Prue showed that he was in that situation. That's that's what a sportsman does. And so Thank you very much, OSP. It was beautiful to watch. The knockout was beautiful, and the way you handled yourself was beautiful, too. I enjoyed that fight completely, especially from the moment I said he's going to hit him with a left hook, and 30 seconds later, he did. So <laughs> it, it really would, you know, it, it shows how relaxed OSP is. And when he's in shape and he's not worried about getting tired, he can, he can fight, man. He's got skill. You know, it's just, it takes us, it takes us certain caliber of fighter to be able to beat him and he's always dangerous when the fight hits the ground with on flu chokes he's fun to watch it'll be interesting to see who they put him against next because you know his last fight was at heavyweight against ben rothwell and ben kind of leaned on him a lot and wore him out and won a split this but you know i could even see you know osp going back up to heavyweight but you know don't fight the uh the giant guys and don't fight their fight by allowing them to lean on you. You got to keep that distance. You got an 80 inch reach, use it. But I thought it was a really impressive performance by OSP. It was fun to watch. And all I'll say is that, um, you know, uh, Alonso has been on a losing streak since he beat Paul Craig. And, you know, that's what that's what happens when you beat, <laughs> when you beat the Scots, you, you get cursed. You're, you're, so it's all the, it's a Scottish curse. Exactly. You're, you're saying it's the Scottish because he knocked out Paul Craig, and since that time, Devin Clark was the first, and now we've got OSP. Yeah, I think you're right, man. If he gets to three and O, he's yep. gonna have to go pay homage to Scotland. Yep, yep. <laughs> have you never seen the movie Brave by Disney? Uh, yeah. We we have witches, we have crazy people. I see, you know, I said, dude, I see those guys in from Braveheart, and they don't have anything on under the skirt. So they do worry me. You guys are crazy. <laughs> Being in that cold with nothing on underneath the skirt, you guys are nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to make a comment, but I, it's kind of rude. I won't, I won't make it. <laughs> well, let's talk about the last one, the, uh, the heavyweight fight between Augusto Sakai and Alistair Overeem. I, th- I thought that uh, Alistair shows what, a, what a, a crafty veteran does in a fight. He didn't go out there to win the first round. Yeah, you know, I think you know they they were saying that he uh, they thought he lost the second. I'm not too sure that he lost the second. I'd like to look at the scorecards that, uh, when they're available to see the way the judges looked at it. But it was he just consistently started breaking Sakai down, and then you look at the you know the finish and uh, you know even before in the round as the as the round was ending before uh, in the third round, man. He, he was landing some big shots. You you cannot allow Alistair Overeem to be in the top position uh, and expect to do well. He lands heavy shots. The elbows that he was landing in that fourth round, my God, they were big. They were huge, man. They were, and I've said it too many times, and I tell fighters all the time, hey, you want to make a, a referee nervous. You want to make him think about stopping the fights. Don't continue to punch, start elbowing your opponent, and quickly you'll see that referees start to go, oh, you know, fight back, move, get out, all this stuff, because they know that, you know, there can only be so many. And, you know, that fourth round near the end of the round, 
you know, he started landing him. And then in the fifth round, you know, as soon as he did the, the same takedown that uh, DC doesn't like that worked very well <laughs> for, uh, for him twice to get Sakai to the ground, man, he was lighting him up with those elbows. I thought it was a really smart performance. I know, you know, there was times when you saw, you know, Sakai opening up and you saw over him using a shield defense, but he wasn't getting hit with big shots for the most part. He had the one, he got the hematoma on the side right by his ear. I, I still didn't see if that was a head or an elbow that caused that, but you know, that, that was, you know, I, you know, absolutely it was damage and stuff, but it was the the number of fights that Alistair Overeem has had over his career. You're looking at a guy with over 60 fights against a guy, you know, coming into what is 17th professional fight. Big difference in ring knowledge, big difference in just the way to go about fighting a five round fight since Alistair's had a ton of those. You know, it was experience. Experience won Alistair that fight. He broke Sakai down, and he fought a beautiful fight. He, he's been, you know, think about, I mean, he has the one loss against Rosenstruck when, you know, the last, what was it, man, last 10 seconds of the fight, he gets hit, Four seconds. and they stopped it. Yeah, well, they stopped it, and he was getting up, you know, and so you look and you go, all right, you know, I'll say that. If it wasn't for that fight, how many fights would he have a win streak on? Because I know he beat Alexi. He beat, um, Sergey. was it? Yeah, certainly. Well, Alexi Olenek, he beat Walt Harris. He beats now Sakai. So he would have been on a five fight win streak, uh, off of that. Cause he also had the Walt Harris fight. So, you know, he's actually fighting really well. He may not be fighting like he did in the past. That's because he can't survive fighting like he did in the past. He's fighting smarter. He's having his moments. He's not rushing the fight. And it's working for him. It's working really well. And, you know, he wants one more run. And if he continues to fight in this fashion, he can make it. So, enjoyed the fight. Uh, actually, you know, a lot of people talking about, you know, you know, Sakai and his body type. You know, I look at heavyweights when they have body types like Sakai. It's like, doesn't make a difference. You know what? You don't have to be pretty. To be a good fighter. And he, he's a good fighter. He's a tough guy. He's got good stand-up. He needs to start, in my opinion, having more anxiety when his back is on the ground. Heavyweights with their backs on the ground are usually not in a good position. So when you have a heavyweight on top, you your your big thought should be, okay, I'm either gonna if I can go for the submission quickly, great, go for the submission. That if that's not there. I go for the reversal or I'm getting my butt up and getting out. I cannot stay on my back and think I'm going to be successful with a 260-pound guy on top of me hitting me. Gravity is working against you. It's working for your opponent, and it only takes one shot in the heavyweights, and you're, you're allowing someone to hit you in a position where you can't move. You can't take a lot of the power off of the punches. Sakai's got to get it in urgency in his game when his back hits the ground but overall not a bad show you know obviously there was some you know fights that fell out but i enjoyed uh i really enjoyed the the sakai fight and uh, over him and i definitely enjoyed enjoyed the osp menafield i thought that the the women's fight with uh viviana was outstanding so 
overall, I'm kind of, you know, impressed with what we saw. And I still feel really bad for Sean Shelby and Nick Maynard because right now their lives are very difficult. Does it take the pressure off a bit when you don't have to have like an expectation for a card? Because like, this seems like one of those cards where you can kind of just think there's fights on tonight um, and not have to think, oh my God, this is a card that everyone's hyping or whatever. And so do you think that like sets an expectation for you where you can just kind of enjoy it and not have to think about yeah, I, I, I actually, you know, so many times there's been cards that you looked at the UFC and it, it's it's stacked. And you go, this is going to be fantastic. And it just turns out to not be. And it's, you know, it's not the UFC fault. You know, on paper, we're all looking at it going, that is going to be awesome. I can't wait for it. And every fight tends to become a, you know, just a bummer. It doesn't work out the way you want. And that can happen in the fight world. That just happens. And then there's those ones that, man, you look at and you go, this is going to be a crap card. This thing's they have no name value. This thing's going to suck. And it, every fight ends up being good. So you never know. And that's why you got to watch fights because you, you can think you know what's going to happen, but there's a reason why they fight the fight, as we say. And you you got to you know maintain that, well, if I don't want to watch, I could be missing something great. So I don't want to be that guy that's missing something great. You love fights anyways. So watch the fights. And if you watch the fights tonight, you saw some good finishes. You saw some really technical striking. You saw some, uh, some tough you know, switches and, and changes. You saw educated fighters and, and high fight IQs uh, overcoming youth. And so it had it all. It was a good fight card. I've got a cup of coffee here with me, so I've got enough coffee that we can go through a lot of fan questions. You're totally going to be uh, <laughs> accused of being high tonight. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> Pulling out a mug like that. Pulling out a mug like that, dude. That thing is huge. Unfortunately, it says Los Angeles <laughs> and Starbucks. To bring back, bring back bad memories. Uh, or brings back yeah. bad current memories of like how LA is a shithole right now. LA is a shit hole. Um, so I'm going through um some of these fan questions. Um, they are the ones that were sent in by uh by the some of these guys that got the t-shirts. So um, just bear with me on them when we read. No problem. Here. So Derek Summy wants to know. Um, pretty often I think about how knees to a grounded opponent would open up the game of MMA, but I understand the arguments against something like pride rules. So I was thinking, what if they change the rules so that no knees can be thrown to an opponent's head while he's on the canvas? Soccer kicks and stomps would remain illegal, but grounded fighters would be allowed to strike their opponent's head with their feet as well. What do you think? I'm not understanding quite what he's saying. He said soccer kicks are not allowed. What's mm -hmm. a soccer kick? What's a soccer kick? <laughs> a kick to the head. Yep. <laughs> so, I mean, here, I, I think he meant knees, but knees would be knees would be illegal. Uh, when knees would be legal because he says earlier, um, uh, change the rules so that no knees or oh, no knees can be thrown to an opponent's head while he's on a canvas. Soccer kicks and stomps would remain illegal, but would be allowed to strike their opponent's head with their feet as well. Yeah, that's a little. Bit. That's a bit yeah, so well, you, if soccer kicks are not allowed, then you, you know, that's a strike with your foot. To sit there and say, when, when people say soccer kicks, normally they're talking about their opponent is well in the worst position. They're on their hands and knees. 
and you see that kick come up. That's the soccer kick because it's like the soccer ball getting kicked across the field. But you know, when it comes to you know knees and kicks to a grounded opponent, I'm just going to tell you straight out, it's never going to happen as far as changing in the rules. Not going to happen at all. And here's the reason why it won't happen. You've had the unified rules of MMA has have been around now uh, in the sport for 20 years, basically. They came about in April of 2001. And that was based upon all these different promotions being in the United States, all having different rule sets. So if the UFC was doing a fight somewhere, uh, the IFC would go to that same location a month later and expect to use their rules, not the rules that the UFC was using. And then King of the Cage would come in and they would have their own specific rules. So that's the reason why the unified rules was brought in because that way athletic commission can say, this is our rules. You will use our rules if you want to uh, hold a fight in our state. And that's the way it's been. For the most part, you know, there's been some changes to the rules, but the rules have really worked well when you're looking at is it the best thing for the fights? Maybe not. You know, there, there could be, you know, things where you say that rule hasn't, you know, made the fighting more exciting. But what you're doing is balancing what doesn't change the sport and what works for the safety of the fighter. So the reason why I tell you knees to the head of a grounded fighter, kicks to the head of a grounded fighter, they're never going to come back. And they're never going to come back for a multitude of reasons. But one of the major one is liability. As soon as you have an athletic commission now say, okay, we're going to allow knees to the head of a grounded fighter. And they have a fight. And that fighter goes in there and also gets in a position and starts getting knee to the head. And then in some way, anyway, we'll say gets knocked out. And then they're going to say, oh, I have a, a lasting injury based upon I was allowed to be knee to the head. That used to be illegal, and then this state made it legal, and it now has affected me, and there's liability involved because a lawyer is going to go and look and say, well, as, you know, all these other states, but I'll, I'll just crank off. We'll say the state of Nevada doesn't allow knees to the head, and the state of California doesn't allow knees to the head. And, this, you know, the state of New York doesn't allow knees to head and the Mohegan tribe doesn't allow knees to head. And then he'll just start going through this list and say, so they haven't allowed knees to the head for over 20 years. And now you as a state decide you're going to allow this. And my client got hurt because of it. And there's going to be people that are going to side with that defense attorney. So athletic commissions, they're, they're never going to do it. They're not going to do something that could bite them in the butt that could change it to where someone could say that they made the fight less safe. They'll always change the rules and take things away to say that they made the sport safer, but they're never going to change it to the point where someone could say, you made the sport less safe and my client, my fighter, whoever, was injured because of your decision. It's just not going to happen. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I think I, I've never agreed with, with that rule anyway, so um, <laughs> it makes sense to me. Um, 
Jeffrey Buchanan asks, um, has there ever been a significant ref injury in the middle of a fight? And regardless, is there a rule for that? For instance, if a ref blows a knee out and cannot make it to the next round? I mean, I guess that's a question. Yeah, yeah that, you know, that's, that has happened. Uh, there used to be a lot of promotions that they would have one referee. There would be athletic commissions that would assign one referee to a show. And that referee would do all the fights. The most fights that I ever refereed in one night was 23. That's way too much. Just telling you, you know, 23 fights. Cause you know, I don't care who you are. You start to lose interest in fights. And so when you're, we've gotten to the point where all athletic commissions realize, okay, I have to have at least two referees. We have had referees go down with injuries. We've had referees. I blew my knee out in a fight. It was, Travis Brown versus Fabricio Verdum. And if you go and you watch like the last, uh, let's say last 15 seconds of the fight, I blow my knee out right in the, like with 15 seconds left in the fight. I just take a funky step and my knee popped and my ACL went. It's like, how does that happen? Now, could, would I have gone on in the fight? I think I would have gone on if it wasn't the fifth round. But I have seen referees go out in the fight as far as, hurt themselves, twist an ankle, pop a knee, blow out their knee. And all we do is we take the off referee, we bring them into the fight and let the fight continue on with another referee. So yeah, referees get, you know, referees are human and there's a lot more to it than people realize. You know, if you're watching, you know, the guys bounce around and the way they do it, you know, it only takes the canvas moving a certain way and your foot getting caught a certain way, you know, you can uh, end up injuring yourself. How many times have you seen referees go down? All of them have gone down. And, you know, it, when you're looking at the the top guys and stuff, you know I've seen Herb go down. And I've seen, the only one I, I haven't seen Jason go down. So Jason Herzog, way to go, baby! I don't think I've seen you go down. But Dan Mergalata has gone down, and Eve Levine has gone down, and you know I, I mean there was the classic. I don't remember who was fighting, but Marcos Rosales was refereeing in California in strike force and he falls down and Mauro Ronaldo right away, you know, down goes Rosales, down goes Rosales. So didn't someone do that about Dan um, and Dan fell in Bellator? Yeah. Who was it that done that? Didn't someone like yell down goes Dan or something like that? (laughs) Down goes Dan. (laughs) You know, Uh, I think that might've been me. I wonder if, I wonder if uh, when Jason, because Jason's like such a small like guy that he doesn't go down. If he trips, he goes up because because he's so small. <laughs> Jason is a good athlete, you know, and that's you know part of part of it is it's you know your footwork because it, a referee has the same type of footwork that the fighter has, and he's got to maintain that footwork and understand his balance and his where he's at and how to swing his feet around and not trip himself up. And you've got to pick your feet up a certain way. I never went down in a fight, you know, like that. Luckily, I just, you know, I was lucky it never happened to me. I don't think it's happened to Jason, but it's happened to just about all the top guys that you can think of that you see a lot. They've all gone down some somewhere along the way. What's the worst like hit that you've seen being taken or you've taken from like a fighter when you step in to call the round or call the fight even? The well, I mean, I I've seen him in boxing get knocked out. <laughs> uh, I've seen uh, I've seen you know guys get hit with shots and you know take a good shot and you know shake their head and you know stop it. I've been hit and you're gonna get hit because the when you you're inserting yourself 
in between two guys and that that punch is already being thrown they're not trying to purposely hit you you're moving yourself directly in line with what they're throwing and it's going to happen at times you know you don't want it to i had one time i'm trying to remember court mcgee was fighting someone i can't remember who he was fighting and i went to stop the fight in the round i put my arm through and just as he was kicking and i caught his kick but i caught it and it hit the the inside of my elbow which is bad anyways i got a bunch of floating bone chips and it just deadened my arm <laughs> and so you watch my arm you know I, I walk back but i'm sitting there trying to get my arm to come back because i can't I have no feeling you know and it happens it's just you know that's what happens in fights it's part of being a referee you know you're gonna get hit don't worry about it it's gonna happen so why worry about it see when you ref the 23 fights in one night how many of them went the distance thank god i think two <laughs> I was gonna say only like, two of them. Do you start wishing like oh, I hope you're not oh, so nice God, so bad? Yes. Oh God, I hope this is a fast one. Yeah, you're you're you know, I'm gonna call that right now. <laughs> no, it's uh you know twenty three is a lot. That it's, is you know, you, you'll get you know, I, I did I've had I had ones, you know, fifteen fights in a night, twelve fights in a night, ten fights a lot. Uh you know, when you do the big fights, the big shows, you know, the UFC, uh Bellator you know, World Series of Fighting at the time, or PFL now, are those are usually in the three to four, sometimes five or six, you know, depending upon you know a certain night. But about four is the average. When you're doing the the ten fights in a night, it's a lot. You know, you, 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 it's just your concentration. It's hard to hold a good level of concentration for all that many fights. All right, I've got this next question is from Randall Herxcorn. Her- Herxcorn, sorry, Randall. Um, he asks, is Adesanya as good as people on the hype train think he is? The Whitaker fight was impressive, but he was playing a dangerous game, leaning out of those punches. He could have easily been caught in several, but he wasn't. And I understand if you're if you're long, slender, and lean, you can uh, you can't go in there and get and slug it out and be explosive, powerful like UL. Uh, but still. It was pretty disappointing on his part. And then there's the ground game and grinding it out with some of the uh, the brutes. So is he really that good or are we looking at a short title reign? No, he's really that good. Let's let's just be honest. If you're gonna ask how good is you know Israel Adesanya, he's undefeated in MMA and he's had a very short run outside of the UFC. You know, he came into the UFC with only a couple of MMA fights, and it's a matter of you know, he's got a ton of experience outside of the world of mixed martial arts with the world of kickboxing. You know, and that's the only place I ever refereed Israel was in glory kickboxing. But his ability to keep a fight where he wants it to be. And that was the thing that really was the difference with his fight against Yoel Romero. Israel fights a certain way and he needs someone to come after him. He's a counter striker. He likes when a guy takes a, you know, takes shots because he counter strikes moves and lands his effective strikes off of their aggression. Well, Yoel kind of pulled the uh, plug on that and just stood there, and which is going to make Israel come forward. And Israel is looking at a guy that was a silver medalist in the Olympics in freestyle wrestling. He's looking at a guy that was a world champion in freestyle wrestling. He's looking at a guy that is a genetic freak as far as his strength his speed even at an elder age as far as he's over 40 years of age and he's cautious because of it i don't blame him you know it, 
that sometimes styles make fights and sometimes styles kill fights. And it was the style that Yoel Romero brought against Israel that Israel was not prepared for. Israel figured that, you know, and he and his coaches came up with a game plan of the way they thought Yoel would attack him. I think they looked at the Paulo Costa fight and looked at what Yoel did in that fight and based their game plan off of it. And Yoel did nothing uh, of the sort of what he did in that last fight with Paulo Costa. So I think it threw Israel off, and that can happen. I think if you put those guys back in a fight together, you know, it could still be a just a snoozer fight, but it could also turn into just an incredible fight. So you never know. It's you know, certain guys need their opponents to do certain things. You know, Pedro Hizo was a guy that man, he was awesome when someone came and attacked him. When someone came after him with an aggressive style, he ate them up because he was that counter striker. He wanted you to strike at him and he wanted to land his counters and end it with a big heavy leg kick. He was great at it. But when guys wouldn't press him, he would wait. He would stand there. He would, you know, just, I need you to do something for me to do something. And his offense just slowed down to basically nothing. So, yeah, it just depends on the style of fight. I think Israel Adesanya is fantastic. I know Paulo Costa is uh, undefeated also. I've done a bunch of his fights. He is a monster inside of the cage. He hits like a truck. He's got a good gas tank. For a muscular guy, he really has a good gas tank. And I know he believes he's going to walk through Israel Adesanya. That ain't going to happen. I'm not saying that Paulo Costa can't win the fight. But he is not going to walk through that guy because Paulo Costa's way of winning the fight is going through the strength of Israel Adesanya. The only guys that are going to cause Israel Adesanya concern are not strikers. They are guys that can actually take him off of his feet. No one's really been able to keep him off of his feet for very long. Um, that's his concern is not being in his realm of fighting having to fight another man's game. And Paulo Costa doesn't bring that actual, you know, skill set to this championship match. So I think it's, uh, if anyone's saying that Paulo Costa is the favorite in this, I think you're wrong. I think Israel is the definite favorite in it. He's the guy that's got the higher level of uh, striking skills overall. I don't think that he has the one-punch power of Paulo Costa. But Israel Adesanya is the real deal. He's going to be around for as long as he wants. Okay, I'm not saying he can't be beat. But if he gets beat, trust me, he's still going to be in the mix because he's going to be coming back and he's going to be getting better because his fight IQ is very high. He is a smart fighter and he normally makes guys fight his fight to where he can perform well. Next question comes from Scott Keller. Um, I think this is the last one we have on the agenda here. Um, he asks, what is the one super fight that you wish you got to see? Anderson Silva versus GSP, Brock versus Fedor, Prime Kane versus Stipe, or something else? Uh, I would say that I, I would have liked to have seen Prime Fedor and Prime Brock. It, 
it's you know the matter of i honestly think in their primes i don't think it's that good of a fight and uh i think one guy was a pure fighter and one guy was a pure monster the monsters sometimes don't fight well and brock proved that he's got some limitations when it comes to the fight game he's a guy that has got a definite verifiable background in amateur wrestling and his wrestling his blast double is outstanding but if you go back and you watch the fights where he did well you know brock came out and he fought against frank Mir. And he lost that fight on the knee bar, but he was doing really well. And then he got stopped by the referee for supposed illegal blows. And uh, that kind of changed the flow of the fight a little bit. But then he came and got his first win against, um, gosh, dang it. I'm trying to, <laughs> I just, I'm looking at his face right now. His, um, his first UFC win? Yeah, it was Heath, against Heath, um, Herring? Heath Herring. Yeah, so then he, he wins against Heath Herring. And then, his next fight was against who? Uh, Randy Couture. Yeah. Okay. They gave him a championship fight off of being one and one. Okay. Because if you look at what Brock did and his style, and the UFC was always trying to get rid of Randy, and Randy had tried to get a fight with Fedor going, and the UFC was upset with him. So they looked and said, style-wise, what's a bad matchup? Can we, who can we put against Couture right now that we have? Well, Brock was a big name. He was a big wrestler. And they looked and said, ah, that could be a guy. And Brock ended up, you know, beating Randy. He hit him with a, a shot that, you know, hurt him and was able to hit him with hammer fist and got, got him out of there and became the champion. And then had a couple of fights in there. You know, Shane Carwin was a, was a great fight because it was a, he took a lot of abuse and he came back. But when he fought Cain Velasquez, it showed everything because he took Kane down pretty fast in that fight. And when he took Kane down, you saw Kane quickly get back to his feet and just come back and start fighting with him. And you saw in Brock that, oh my God, uh, that was not what I thought. I wasn't able to stay on top of him. And then he started getting hit with shots and the wheels started falling off of the cart real quick. And he's all of a sudden spinning across and he took some big shots and he lost his title. And even when, you know, he came back, he showed in his fight against Overeem, doesn't like to get hit, you know? And if there's one thing as a professional fighter, you have got to make friends with, it's the fact you're going to get hit. I don't care who you are. You're going to get hit. You got to be, you know, it's okay. You learn that I can be hit. I just don't want to be hit with that one big shot. And if I get hit, I don't get mad about it. I just figure out, okay, how do I put my shots on my opponent? Brock was a guy, even in training, you know, knowing guys that trained with him, they all said, you can't hit him. You know, the coaches won't let you hit him. So he was never in that position where he was making friends with the fact I'm going to get hit. And if you were not in that position against a prime Fedor, Brock would have gotten killed. The only way against a prime Fedor, prime, that he could have won is if he hit a blast double and hurt him going down and then some ground and pound possibly. But you take a look at prime Fedor and the wrestlers that he fought against and how well he did against wrestlers. Uh, his striking, he was fast. 
His judo is good. I just don't see Brock winning that. But I would have liked to have seen it basically to prove some people wrong. <laughs> Those same people that thought that Brock was going to kill Cain Velasquez, and I told them, you're nuts. Cain's going to walk away with that. And it was like, I told you. You know, you can just see certain things. You know, there's guys that are fighters. And and, and I, lo- I love Brock as a person. He's a great guy. And he's got his place in MMA. But he's not the full package. Cain Velasquez, that was the full package. He had wrestling. He had good striking. He had endurance. He was a grinder. And... Fedor had the same thing, so I just don't think that that would have been a good matchup for for uh, Brock. But I could be wrong. John, I actually have one more for you that I uh, forgot. yeah, let's go. I, um, it's a really good one. I think with Josh not being here, this is specifically for you. So it's perfect. <laughs> uh, can be better. Uh, so this one comes from Christopher Worley, and he wants to know from you, um, if possible, what match would you go back in time to let? to let it go a little longer or you would change something about how you ref the fight just in hindsight? Oh my God. There's always going to be fights. You know, all the, most of the fights that I look at and say I would change, you know, they were from, you know, 20 years ago or something like that. Um, if you were looking to say actual during the fight competition, those are all old fights. If I was going to change something, and I don't think it would have changed the fight, but if I was going to change something, it would have been in the Yoel Romero versus Tim Kennedy uh, dual gate situation that came up. I would have immediately, I would have gotten Yoel up. I, the, the inspector had told him to stay down. I would have said, nope, stand up. And I would have gotten him over. I would have brought him over to the uh, cage door quickly and either had the doctor wipe off the Vaseline that was on him or that cut man, if we could have found him and gotten the fight back quicker than what it was, because it would have been fair to Tim Kennedy. Maybe that would have changed the fight. I don't think it would have, you know, because Tim, uh, you know, got hurt with a shot that was legitimate, but it would have taken any of the question out of it. So if I was going to change something, that would have been the one that I would have changed. Interesting. I was going to make a joke about the, the Josh and Petrucci thing, but that actually just made me think of a genuine question. Um, do you think that um, as far as like referees, um, and if, like you know that we only have one official in the cage um, uh, when, when there's a fight going on. So do you think that um, there could ever be a situation where there's referees, you know how where the cameramen are on the podiums and the, on the corner or in each corner of the, the eight sides of the octagon? Um, yeah. There could ever be a situation where there's officials there that are only looking out for positions that that perhaps the official inside the cage can't see, and and whether some type of communication or signal that they use to communicate something that they witnessed that was illegal. I, I, I've heard guy, I've heard guys like Luke Thomas come up with ideas of second officials, and there already is kind of a second of, official that is uh, we call a secondary official. That's usually the guy you'll see that is white, you know, checking the fighters when they come out and you see them coming out and they're checking them for, you know, fingernails and grease and making sure that the mouthpiece and cup and all that stuff. That's your secondary official. But I think in the future, what you're going to end up seeing is we're going to have a secondary official that is in charge of instant replay. 
So immediately, instead of the, the similar to what you have with the NFL, where you have officials that are up in the booth looking at a scenario and deciding, yes, that was a legal, you know, legal catch or no, that was not a legal catch. It hit the ground. You're thinking in the end, somewhere along the way, we're going to end up getting a secondary official that's in charge of the instant replay on things that he can communicate if asked by the official in the cage about a certain situation, because you'll have situations where the official doesn't see a clash of heads and that's what hurts the opponent and puts one opponent down and that's how they receive a cut. And the official inside the cage thinks it was from an elbow or a punch or something like that or a kick when really it was the clash of heads that caused not only the knockdown but the injury itself. So that would be what you could see. When you start talking about having people talk to you off on the side, your attention as an official, if it's not 100% on those fighters, you're going to screw up. You have got to have 100% concentration on what's going on. You know what you're looking at and why you're looking at it. And you don't need anyone over here being the backseat driver trying to tell you what to do. You know how irritating it is when someone's a backseat driver? Guess what? It's even worse when you're freaking officiating a fight. So, not a good idea. I used to um, drive down a radio station with Josh in the backseat. And and he would always (laughs) say... Dave, get over the take the take over this guy. David, go around this guy. So I know you. I know how, exactly what you mean. Yeah. See, it's a, Josh, Josh Hobbs can be an annoying some bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God he took he took losing the t-shirt contest uh, to heart, and he didn't show up this week. <laughs> see, it's, it was all about the contest, and that's why our contest now twenty percent off. Just put in goat, greatest of all time. Okay, perfect perfect way to end this version of weighing in. I do want to tell everybody out there, hey, thank you so much for uh, tuning in to us. Thank you for listening, and, and I hope you enjoy what we bring. This one is a little bit different since my partner Josh uh, was pulled away and wasn't able to come in and uh, do the show like we normally do. We wanted to put something out for you, and that's why we're doing this on this turn for number 80. But uh, thank you to everyone. I hope you're enjoying it. Please do me a favor if you can, you know, go to uh, that YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button, give us the thumbs up if you like what we're saying. If you don't, don't put anything, okay? (laughs) (laughs) That's just the way I look at it. If uh, you have a comment, you can put the comment in there. Obviously, my wife will probably read the comments (laughs) or Dave will read the comments because I don't read the comments. But when it comes to... uh, you know, doing us a favor. Hey, talk to talk to your friends. Tell them to tune in, listen, see if they like it, and get them to subscribe too. So, thank you very much for being out there. We do appreciate it, and we hope that you're enjoying the show. 